me. I, I don't know all of the movements around here, so I'm very nervous I'm going to do something wrong. Good to be with you. Thanks for laughing, too. That makes me feel comfy. It does. And in the first service, I kept whacking this thing, whack-a-mole. Did you turn it down? Did you lower it? Because she's short. I wasn't going to say that. Hey, glad you're here. A um, little bit of orientation. Oh, so my name is Dwayne. I was supposed to be here in December, and I got sick. It was so frustrating. Six o'clock in the morning, I text Pastor Tim. Tim, ain't going to happen. Now, I could have toughed it up because I'm a guy and come and spread my germs with you that didn't feel like very smart. So I stayed home. But I really wanted to be with you, and I'm glad to be with you here today. Um, and for the online group, I, I spoke in Contemporary uh, last week, and I told the, the live stream audience that I really want to not forget you, like out of sight, out of mind. You guys are like right here. I can see you looking at me, Nancy. I know people are here online community. I need like a monitor, like Zoom, and I can see all the little Hollywood squares or little boxes of everybody. That'd be awesome. Technology folks, can you do that? Jason, can you do that? That'd be awesome. And uh, some of my favorite people are watching online right now, and honey, I will bring home some milk today at the end of the service. My wife is watching online. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She didn't ask me to bring milk. It was eggs. So if you were not here last week, you may not know that we're in a series called The Biggest Loser. And all of you guys, I know when we get into these series, like you write it on your calendar, oh boy, it's the, it's the biggest loser. You know, it's, it's really kind of an in-house thing. But I, I actually liked the show, The Biggest Loser. How many are willing to confess that they like the show, The Biggest Loser? Raise your hand. One person in the back, yes. So the thing I liked about The Biggest Loser was <clears throat> I really felt compassion that they had gotten to a place in life where, like, it really was bad, right? Like, their, th this was their last-ditch effort to bring life back to their life, okay? So if you don't know, since it's just me and you that actually knows the story, I need to tell everyone. So these are folks who are like, weighing lots of pounds and adding all of this stuff to their life was diminishing their lives, right? Common sense. And some of them, it's like they were literally dying and they knew they had to do something, yes? And the courage they had not only to go into this rigorous routine of trying to figure out how to lose weight, but then it's all for America and who knows who else to see, right? I mean, that's a lot of courage. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor or parable or whatever for us to think about what have we added to our lives that we need to lose. And if we lost these things in life, it would actually make our life better. It's a, it's a great parable, isn't it? Right? I'm sure if Jesus was preaching today, he may talk about sewing. He may talk about fishing, not sewing, like doo -doo 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 -doo, not material sewing, like sowing and reaping and farming and all that kind of stuff. He may talk about fishing because he was with fishermen, but 
I don't know, on his 12 disciples, he may have somebody in the movie industry, right? And so he might use an analogy of the biggest loser because one of his disciples actually was on the production team for The Biggest Loser, or maybe he had gone through <laughs> The Biggest Loser and lost a lot of weight. I don't know. So today is losing my religion. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, ah, that sounds weird. Why would I want to not be a Christian? Christian religion. So we use that word religion to define or to describe or to denote the five major religions, right? Christianity is one of the major world religions and there are lots of other religions. I'm not saying that we need to lose that terminology, the Christian religion, the Buddhist religion, Islamic, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Nor am I referring to the phrase that we, I, I, I Googled it to find out where it came from, but there was an expression in the South that if you kind of lost your temper and whatever was about to come out of your mouth was inconsistent with what your religion, like I'm gonna lose my religion for a little while. I don't want you to do that. I don't want people like to, to go off the handle and, and to act immoral or you know, whatever it is. That's not what we're talking about. And also, um, just so you kind of know what's in my mind when I write a message, I really hope that something I say today will um, kind of like flip a switch. It'll kind of feel like you're having an out-of-body experience where God is actually getting your attention and saying something to you and not just anything, but it's like, I think he's speaking just to me. And so somehow in this message, if there's something that you hear that feels like, I think God wants my attention and wants me to know this thing, I'm going to pray that it's so actionable that as you go out today, you'll actually have something you know that God has invited you to do. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome if that happened. So I've got that intention as I wrote the message and I'll do my best to deliver it in that way. So what do, I told you what I don't mean by religion. I've really dumbed down kind of what I mean by religion in super simple terms and we'll elaborate more as we go through the message. But for me, the thing I believe we need to lose, and I'm gonna look at it so I get it just right, is our attempt to get right with God through our own efforts, period. When we flip the gospel and think that, now make this personal now, okay? When I think about how do I get closer to God, do, see, I did it already. I was gonna be so good go around this thing. When I think about how to, okay, let's make it super simple. In relationships with people, sometimes we may think if I do certain things for this person, they will like me more. Let's take it down to the human level, right? If I'm extra nice to this person, they'll reciprocate and they'll like me. Sometimes we reduce God to that kind of level and think if I can just be good or do something good, it will strengthen our relationship. I'm looking at Nancy here. 
Nancy and I are kind of at odds. I think, oh, if I'll just do something nice for her, maybe we'll strengthen that whole thing. When we think that way towards God, we get into religious habits. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I've got three points. I'm so organized today, man. I'm, this is amazing. When I'm in the CLC, I just, you know, just shoot whatever. It's on my mind. I'm organized for you folks today. Thank you. Who said that? Bonnie. Yes. I knew you guys would. Point number one, just real quickly, one, two, three. Religious activity, what I just described that I'm doing with Nancy and trying to be good so she'll like me, that religious activity is a part of our, what we call our fallen nature. You guys are like experts in religious lingo, so you know what I'm talking about. So we're going to go back and look at the garden and the, the whole development of this thing where we, we our great, 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 great grandparents listened to the serpent and got off on the wrong foot. That's point number one. Where do, we, where do we get this old nature and what's it like? Number two, Jesus really came to destroy that curse that's on us. Scripture says that because we did something, we, Adam and, through Adam and Eve, did something, there's a curse on us. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus really took care of the curse. I'm going to revisit that, try to get it in a way that makes even super, super sense today. And then the third thing, which goes back to what I said earlier, I really believe that we can hear God's voice and choose to align or realign ourselves with a new nature. We don't have to live according to our old nature. All right? Got it? We're organized. We know where we're going. Everybody's comfortable. And I will end on time. You're going to be doubtful. You'll be looking at your watch and you're thinking, he's not going to land this plane on time. And I need to be out of this place on time. So you will be out by 1 o'clock, I promise. Great. Oh, who said that? Bonnie again? Bonnie, I love you. You're awesome. So point one. I'm reading a lot from the message, too, and I know that's not in the pew. Do you have Bibles in the pews? Yes. All right. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got your digital, you can go to Genesis chapter 2 and then choose the message version. Could, could, could be helpful. All right. You can look at whatever version's in the pew or whatever you've got to. I'll read slowly because I talk slowly. I don't talk slowly because I think that you're slow learners. I talk slowly because I talk slowly. I think I've, I've, last week I thought, I think I've always talked slowly, and the older I get, the slower I talk. But I'm also honestly, though I've got some notes here, I'm really thinking about in this moment, what is it that I need to say? And that takes me a nanosecond or two or three longer to figure out exactly how I want this to come out. So, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And don't let, uh, what is it, familiarity breeds contempt? Is that how it goes? I don't know what the heck that means, but like it, you're so accustomed to hearing something, you can't hear it anymore. That's how I would say it. Don't let the fact that you've heard these verses a gazillion times before dull your brain to think about them again. Let's think freshly about 
this fresh manna. All right, deal? Deal? Deal, I heard the deal. Deal or no deal. Hey, that'd be another good sermon. All right, then God planted, okay, Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9, we'll be looking at a few verses here in chapter 2. God planted a garden in Eden in the east. I'm reading from the message now. It's like, that's not what my version says, right? He put the man he had made, that, that he had just made, in it, in the garden. God made all kinds of trees grow from the ground, trees beautiful to look at, and good to eat. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden, also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now drop down to verses 16 and 17. God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Let me say that again. You can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. Hey, just for the fun, let's say that together. Don't eat from it. Well, that was fun, let's do it again. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. I like that paraphrase. Now let's slow down a bit here and think about something together. Why was it bad or forbidden to eat from that tree, both for Adam and Eve and for us? Put your thinking caps on here for a moment. Isn't knowledge or awareness of good and evil a good thing? We're knowledge junkies. Hey Siri, hey Alexa. I'll Google. You need to unlock your iPhone first. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you? Amazing. Isn't technology amazing? It's on silent. I didn't know it would do that. We're knowledge junkies. We are knowledge junkies. But practically speaking, I see some of you looking at me with a look of consternation. Think about it. Isn't knowledge a good thing. Now, we're not talking about experience. He didn't say the experience of good and evil. He says the knowledge of good and evil. I could see maybe saying, if you eat this tree of the knowledge of evil, you're going to die. That would make a little bit of sense, right? You just don't want to dwell on evil. You don't even want to fill your mind with evil. That would make sense, yes? The knowledge of good? How could the knowledge of good be a bad thing? We'll answer that in a minute. Let's go look at Genesis 2.5. Now, the serpent is speaking in Genesis 2.5. Okay? That rascal, the serpent. He is the enemy of God. We know this because we've read the rest of the story. He's an arch enemy of God. Uh, Jesus would say that when he speaks, he speaks his mother tongue, and when he speaks, it's a lie. How do you know Satan is lying? His lips are moving. 
I didn't say lawyer. That's the old joke, right? The serpent says, now after God has been very clear, you eat from that tree, you will die. The serpent says, it's opposite day. When we were a kid, when we had kids, we used to say it's opposite day, right? For God knows when you eat from it, knowledge of good and evil, that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now, the irony is they are already made in God's image and in some way they are like God. But Satan figures out how he can put a little bit of a spin on this. You will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, I believe the heart of what Satan is doing at this point is he wants to separate Adam and Eve from God so that they think by their knowledge of good and evil they can be independent of God and not needing him to show them what is good and what is evil. That's the simple, simple explanation. What I think is going on here. Autonomy. What if you could be like God in being autonomous in your nature that you no longer need him? Now, he's not saying all of this, but there's something happening in Adam and Eve, and I think there's something that happens in us, in our fallen nature, that we're intrigued by the idea of being autonomous from God. Now, we could be very Christian-like and say, well, I'm not that way. I never do things apart from God, right? We, we could s overly simplify this whole thing and think, well, oh, that's so unchristian to be autonomous from God. But the reality is that often we do disconnect from the voice of God and we do our own thing. The problem is, if you go back and look at the design manual about the way God made us, we were not made to live autonomously. There is something about being made in his image and being connected to God that we need that thing. We need that connection. And once we pull away from that or ignore that and try to live outside of that, we're in a terrible place. And what we do, and we're going to look at this through the Old Testament and a little bit more in our own experience, we try to find other ways to fill that void of life that only God can fill. We're desperate. We're like, oh, we're cut off. There is a curse over us. Life is hard. For women, it's hard in childbirth. The scriptures say, for men working in the field, it's going to be hard. They're going to labor and work hard, right? Life is hard when we're autonomous and we eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's the funny thing that I realized about myself. 
see if it seems funny to you and if you relate to me. When we have knowledge of good and evil, we become judges. And God alone is really the only one that's able to judge. I am such a good judger. I will judge people if I'm not conscious of the presence of God. I will judge people on the most unimportant things you could imagine. And I don't have to try. I'm at Costco with my shopping cart. And I make a judgment about how other people push their shopping cart. They're in my way. They shouldn't be in my way. Don't they know that you're supposed to, I don't know, stay to the right? Don't they know it's so busy that you need to make room for other people? That, that's kind of a silly example, but I'm not making that up. I make judgments about the way people drive on the street. I can feel myself, if I'm not careful, getting upset with a person the way they drive. Now, here's the problem with judgment. I'm suddenly, okay, so I'm going to go back to Nancy. If Nancy, if I judge that she's mad, made a bad decision, I'm better than Nancy. And when I eat from that tree, I feel better about myself if I'm better than Nancy. If you'll be honest, if you'll be honest, I think you've eaten from that tree before too. And the problem with that is, not only do I feel disconnected from God at that moment, guess who else I'm disconnected from? That shopper at Costco, that motorist on the street, or my brother and sister in this space. And the essence of God is what? L-O-V-E. It's hard to love a person when you judge them and think you're better. Would you agree? Am I the only one that's infected sometimes by that terrible place of thinking that eating from that tree is going to make me better? That I'm going to be like God? It doesn't make me like God at all. Not at all. Amy read a couple of verses from Hosea, and I want to switch gears. I've got to check my time. Hosea chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It's a great book. I didn't realize how good it was. I, I cherry-picked those verses because I liked the way it sounded, and I realized, man, this is amazing stuff. Let me read Hosea 6, verses 6 and 7, and I'll set the context I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. This is God's heart now. Now what's a sacrifice? Sacrifice is prescribed by the law. It's in the Bible. It's like it's in the book. It's a normal thing they did. But God was saying to his beloved, the nation of Israel, I want your heart. I want to be in relationship with you. I don't want you to do a sacrifice for me and think that that's going to fix things. That's not how it works. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. 
That's what God is after, even in the Old Testament. But like Adam, you broke my covenant. What's a covenant? It's a relationship. He's saying, years afterwards, you're just like Adam, Israel, and you betrayed my trust. Now, here's the cool thing. Imagine, imagine, imagine today. Okay, so Hosea the prophet is told by God to marry a prostitute, have children with her, and in spite of whatever she would do, and she kept doing her thing, he was to love her. Now, I jokingly said in the first service, could you imagine if social media was available during this time, how it would have lit up about Hosea's behavior? What was God, what was God thinking? Like, God, he's a prophet of God, for heaven's sakes. What are you doing? Why are you asking him to do this? This is insane. Here's why. God wanted to demonstrate to Hosea and to Israel his heart. And what is his heart? Hosea, even when Gomer leaves to go be, to go be with another man and she comes back home, I want you to take her back into your home and to love her. I want you to have kids with her. I want you to be faithful to her when she's unfaithful to you. That's a head tilt. And God's not just saying, I want you to do that. I, God, would never do that. But it's okay for you, Hosea, to do that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, that's how I am towards Israel. She leaves me all the time, and I still love her. Folks, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is the heart and character of God. I've, I've not had to live through the pain of having an unfaithful spouse, but I've been around people who've had to go through that before. And you probably have had people around you who've had to go through that before. That doesn't feel good. And I'm sure God is saying, folks, Israel, this doesn't feel good, but I'm not going to reject you just because you've broken the covenant with me. I'm still going to love you. Second point, Jesus, and this will be fast, you're panicking, I can tell. Jesus came to fix this mess that we're in. Galatians chapter 2, I read a longer passage, about six or seven verses, Galatians 2, 15 through 21. How do we get out of this mess of being autonomous from God? Maybe the, the strength of the analogy of constantly leaving God for another person doesn't relate to you. But how often have you felt like you have gotten life from something else? Yes, now, now we're getting close to home. Something else is in the place of God. It could be another person. 
I've put this other person in this relationship in place of my love relationship with you, God. It could be another thing. We know that, don't we? How do we get over that? Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we, this is the phrase, we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. He's saying, been there, done that. I've tried getting meaning for life in other people and other things and even rules themselves and it doesn't work. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might, we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. This is the essence of religion. Paul's saying, don't go there. Don't go there. If you look back at the first chapter of Galatians, he's like, folks, who has bewitched you? You received this good news in the beginning, and now you're going back to trying to please God through obeying the law. It's like, what has happened to you? That is not good news. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me, Paul, who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous? He's answering one of the complaints that was happening. Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin, you think. The accusation is frivolous, Paul says. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a pretender. Paul goes on. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, it's as if, I've added that, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer at the center of my life. It's no longer at the center of the garden. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, quote unquote, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. It is not clear to you, excuse me, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in your relationship with God. I refuse to do that. To repudiate God's grace, it's, it's to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God 
could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Wow. So, so, so clear. Then chapter 3, he says, answer this question. Does, does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? That is the gospel. And that is the contrast between religion and losing religion for the sake of the gospel. Don't these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God, and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. So how do we align ourselves with this beautiful picture that Paul gives to us through the letter to the Galatians? The thing we need to lose is this ongoing desire to do things to please God. As if he doesn't already love us. The thing we learn from Hosea, the thing we learn from the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus died especially because we were alienated from God. That's when he especially loved us, when we were separate, when we were doing bad. It's not like first do something good, then I'll love you. He loves us when we're bad. That's the essence of the gospel. Hosea loved Gomer when she was bad. God loved Israel when she was bad, doing the wrong thing. If we would look at all the things that Israel was do, doing at the time Hosea was preaching to them, we would be shocked. It's like, certainly, God, you drew the line at that point and said, oh, they've gone too far. He never drew the line. Let me read some lyrics here to close out. Lauren Daigle wrote a song called Losing My Religion. It's a couple of years old. Love it. I listened to it again this morning. We'll read this and then we'll pray. I've been, I've been an actor on a stage playing a role I have to play. I'm getting tired, it's safe to say, living behind a masquerade. No more performing out of fear, trying to keep my conscience clear. It all seems so insincere. I'll trade it all to meet you here. I'm losing my religion. Light a match and watch it burn. To your heart, I will return. No one could love me like you do. Why would I want a substitute? I'm losing my religion. Quick prayer, and then we'll sing a song. Lord, <clears throat> I read once that uh, one of the most powerful evil spirits is the spirit of religion. Because if that spirit can figure out how to trick us 
into eating from that tree of knowledge and good and evil, that we are the judge and that we can live separately from you, Satan has accomplished his mission. So Lord, we acknowledge today that that spirit is not welcome in our hearts and only your Holy Spirit is welcome. How much closer, Lord, could we get than your very presence living in us? So bless us, in Jesus' name, amen. Closing hymn is number 670. We'll stand and sing verses one, two, and four. <laughs>